Hello everyone and welcome to the August 16th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folds with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A controversy over what price to pay for pharmaceuticals continues to be a problem for the workers' compensation industry. The California official medical fee schedule for pharmaceuticals is based on a benchmark price called the average wholesale price or AWP. This AWP price is set by the drug manufacturer and reflects a number of marketing and profit considerations, but is not the actual wholesale price paid by the average pharmacy. The two largest publishers of the AWP values are First Data Bank and Metaspan. First Data Bank has been involved in litigation for its controversial drug pricing surveys. A consumer coalition filed suits in federal court against drug wholesaler McKesson Corporation and First Data Bank, accusing the companies of artificially inflating drug prices. The lawsuits allege that First Data Bank and McKesson conspired to set the list prices artificially high between 2002 through 2005. The plaintiffs alleged that the practices have cost taxpayers and insurance buyers billions of dollars. In the settlement of the case of New England Carpenters Health Benefits versus McKesson Corporation, McKesson agreed to reimburse employers, workers, and other drug purchasers for up to $350 million. First Data Bank and McKesson denied wrongdoing as part of the settlement. First Data Bank also agreed to cease publishing AWP information after March 2011. Until recently, industry experts expected that all publishers would follow suit and AWP would no longer be published by anyone. Metaspan, the other leading AWP publisher, recently reversed that position and pledged to continue publishing AWP beyond March 2011 until relevant industry or governmental organizations developed a viable, generally accepted alternative. Metaspan now clearly outlines what it believes AWP is and is not. Despite its name, average wholesale price, or AWP, is not an average or actual wholesale price because it does not reflect the actual price paid in sale transactions between wholesalers and their customers. AWP does not reflect any of the discounts, rebates, or other price concessions usually offered to pharmacies. For this reason, industry experts continue to look for alternatives that make more sense. One alternative is to use average manufacturer price, or AMP, for brand name drugs. AMP is currently reported to the federal government for Medicaid calculations. The federal government is preparing to publish AMP data this October. However, many payers and industry stakeholders think AMP is not a suitable replacement. And in regulatory news, the DWC announced that new MPN regulations become effective October 8. Employers and insurers will be required to revise their employee notices and workers' compensation posters to comply with the new regulations. The revised regulations streamline the employee MPN notices and procedures and update the required information to be provided to workers. The amendments to the regulations include some of the following. MPN notices can be distributed now electronically to all covered workers. 
The regs eliminate the 14-day MPN implementation and change of MPN notice period and further defines and streamlines the MPN implementation notice. The new regs indicate that the distribution of both notices are now sent only to covered injured workers. The regs clarify provider listing requirements. MPN notices now need to be in Spanish only where there are Spanish-speaking employees and the notices require an MPN contact email address to be included. Access to the MPN contact must now be through a toll-free phone number. The regulations further updates the employee poster and notice potential eligibility and DWC claim form 1. Additional information in the final text of the regulations can be found on the DWC website. The Division of Workers' Compensation has further modified its proposed regulations for the Workers' Compensation Information System, or WCIS. The second 15-day notice of modification has been posted on the DWC website. The last 15-day comment period was in June, and the initial public hearing was in December 2009. The new draft incorporates changes resulting from some of the input during these public comment opportunities. These modifications will improve medical lien reporting, which will allow the DWC to better monitor medical costs. The proposed revisions to the draft include clarification of benefit sequencing rules for the final report in the proposed California Electronic Data Interchange, or EDI, implementation guide for first and subsequent reports of injury. Matching the conditional reporting rules for data element 84 permanent impairment percent with those for data element 70 date of maximum medical improvement have been made. Clarification of the requirements for reporting attorney fees paid as part of a settlement has also been included in the new regulations. Clarification of the batch rejection rules in the proposed California EDI implementation guide for medical bill payment records are included in these modifications. Members of the public are invited to present written comments regarding these proposed modifications. Written comments should be addressed to Maureen Gray, Regulations Coordinator, Department of Industrial Relations, Division of Workers' Compensation, Post Office Box 420603, that's 420603, San Francisco, California 94142. Written comments may also be submitted by fax at 510-286-0687. Written comments may also be sent electronically by way of email to dwcrules at dir.ca.gov. The division's contact person must receive all written comments concerning the proposed modifications to the regulations no later than 5 o'clock p.m. on Thursday, August 26. These changes do not take effect until they are in final form and are submitted to the Office of Administrative Law for final approval. <clears throat> the Division of Workers' Compensation has posted an online forum for members of the public to review and comment on drafts of revisions to the hospital outpatient departments and ambulatory surgical centers fee schedule regulations. In May, the division held a stakeholder meeting to discuss issues relating to basing the ambulatory surgical center's fee schedule on the Medicare fee schedule. Bryce Doherty for the California Ambulatory Surgery Association and others 
mostly interested in increasing reimbursements, provided input at that meeting. One stakeholder pointed out that approximately 50% of all ambulatory surgical centers in California are single specialty facilities that perform little if any workers' compensation cases which are primarily orthopedic. An orthopedic ambulatory surgical center, they claim, has much higher costs because they use expensive medical supplies, single-use items, and are more labor-intensive. It was claimed that data used to support the proposed fee schedule does not take the differences into account. Several ambulatory surgical centers said that they actually lose money on workers' compensation cases and that the new fee schedule would make it even worse and would therefore affect access to care. Orthopedic surgeons who attended the meeting said that they prefer to perform surgeries at ambulatory surgical centers because it is easier to schedule patients for surgery, more convenient, and because they can perform more surgeries at a time with less delay or downtime between each surgery. If the fee for the ambulatory surgical centers are lowered, the surgeons claimed that patients will be forced back into the hospital system for surgeries, which are more costly and, of course, less convenient for the surgeons. After considering the comments and concerns raised at the May stakeholder meeting, the DWC now proposes to revise the ambulatory surgical center fee schedule by modifying the multiplier for ambulatory surgical center facility fees to 100% of the Medicare outpatient fee schedule or 102% multiplier that includes an extra 2% reimbursement for high-cost outlier cases. Public input on the newest proposal will be allowed until the forum closes on August 24. For this forum, comments must be sent by email to dwcforums at dir.ca.gov. And in financial news, Crawford & Company, the world's largest independent provider of claims management solutions to insurance companies and self-insured entities, announced its financial results for the second quarter ending June 30. Second quarter 2010 consolidated revenues declined to $238.2 million compared to $249.7 million for the same quarter in 2009. This revenue produced a second quarter 2010 net loss of $2.5 million compared to a net loss of $88.1 million recorded in the 2009 second quarter. The Broadspire segment of Crawford & Company had an operating loss of $1.8 million in the 2010 second quarter. The net loss has thus been lower this quarter compared to the loss for the prior quarter, somewhat good news in an otherwise disturbing picture. Company officials say that this decline was primarily due to lower workers' compensation claim referrals as a result of lower U.S. employment levels and the impact of a previously announced non-renewal of a major contract within the segment. Despite these conditions, Crawford is holding its own in terms of market share, with claims declines over the past few years less than those of the industry as a whole. Employers Holdings reported that net premiums written declined 15.5% in the second quarter due to trends in employment and payrolls, rate decreases in some states, competition, and continued underwriting discipline with a focus on the loss ratio. 
Second quarter 2010 net income was $16.5 million compared to $20.3 million in the second quarter of 2009, a decrease of $3.8 million. The company expects to realize gains from workforce reductions in the third quarter of 2010. Soon after, the WCIRB sent shockwaves through the California employer community by announcing their intention to recommend a 30% increase in premium rates, Governor Schwarzenegger sent a letter to Insurance Commissioner Steve Poisner urging him to reject rate increases. In that letter, the governor suggests that a rate increase is not justified. The governor claims that while medical costs escalated quickly in 2007, Medical expenses in 2009 were up only 2% over 2008. Initial findings for medical costs in 2010 are that they are no longer escalating at the rate they did in 2007. Schwarzenegger also says that costs for administering, adjudicating, and settling claims went down from $4.1 billion in 2008 to $3.9 billion in 2009. He argues that since medical costs have increased only slightly and loss expenses have declined, the commissioner needs to know where's the money being spent before employers are asked to pay more. Poisoner has no power to regulate the rates charged by insurance companies, so it is not clear what effect this letter may have on the ultimate cost of workers' compensation insurance next year. The strong trend toward the formation of self-insured groups by California employers continues. Many of these employers are happy with their move to self-insured groups, or SIGs, at least according to an article in the Ventura County Star. After the announcement last week that the WCIRB is set to recommend a 30% rate hike, this trend may even accelerate. California has 26 self-insured business groups so far and membership is growing rapidly. Nearly 400 businesses opted for self-insurance last year, a trend noted for five years, according to James Ware, chief of the state's Office of Self-Insurance Plans, which regulates the groups for the Department of Industrial Relations. Like traditional insurance companies, self-insured groups must comply with a myriad of state regulations that include underwriting, which sets annual premiums and standards based on closely monitored actuarial studies. Injury claims are processed by independent claims administrators. And now our medical report. A new study claims that after an ACL injury, lubricating the knee cartilage may prevent osteoarthritis. An injury to the anterior cruciate ligament, or ACL, is fairly common especially among young athletes. While it can often be corrected through surgery, the injury can lead to increased risk of developing degenerative joint diseases, including osteoarthritis. The problem is that fluid in the knee joint, which lubricates the cartilage, is impacted by the trauma of the injury and begins to deteriorate. A new study from Rhode Island Hospital researchers identifies options for restoring that lubrication to potentially prevent development of osteoarthritis. The most movable joints in the body, known as synovial joints, contain synovial fluid. This fluid acts as a lubricant to reduce friction between cartilage in the joint during movement. Following a traumatic injury, the concentration of the natural lubricant 
lubricin is significantly lower in those joints than in the healthy uninjured joint. The goal was to identify biological methods to address the loss of lubricin. The study results indicate that when lubricin is placed back into the traumatized joint, it encourages the joint to make its own lubricin. The study is published in the August 2010 edition of the journal Arthritis and Rheumatism. A new medical study says that ultrafine particles could increase coronary risk in firefighters. The California Workers' Compensation Law has a presumption that coronary injury in many safety workers, including firefighters, is industrially related under certain circumstances. This study may lend support to the wisdom of this presumption. Ultrafine particles are invisible particles that can reach the smallest air passages in the lungs. A study in the August Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine claims that exposure to high levels of these particles may be an important contributor to the risk of coronary heart disease in firefighters. In all types of fires, ultrafine particles measuring less than 0.1 microns accounted for more than 70% of all particles. Levels of the ultrafine particles were high throughout all stages of fire suppression, not only in the knockdown phase when firefighters work to extinguish the fire, but also during the overhaul phase, when the goal is to prevent the fire from reigniting. Exposure may be especially high during the overhaul phase, when firefighters often remove their respiratory protective equipment. More consistent use of respiratory protective equipment, especially during the overhaul stage of fire suppression, could reduce firefighters' exposure to ultrafine particles and possibly lower the coronary risk. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPod, or iPad by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Please check our website again next week for more news.